Let's pray together. God, we just pray that during this time of teaching that you would show up, Lord, that you'd be our Lord, that um, you would come and do what only you can do. Like we're going to be talking about today, that you once said that your words are spirit and they're alive. Um, that they have the ability to come in to change us and to mold us and to shape us, to turn on the lights and recreate us from the inside out. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would, you would do that, that you would speak. We would hear your spirit speak to us by name and call us out. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's hard to believe the difference that 24 hours can make. It's just 24 hours ago that they were listening to him teach. It was just 24 hours ago that they were watching him heal the sick. It was just 24 hours ago that he did this amazing miracle that he fed, what, 5, 10, 15,000 people with one kid's happy meal. And uh, after, that, uh, after that miracle, they were ready to, to kind of storm him and, and make him king. And, uh, and now we're less than 24 hours later, and he can't believe what he's seeing. He's, as he looks out in the crowd, they're all leaving. And this time Jesus went too far. This time he pushed too many buttons. This time he was too offensive. And, and most of the crowds are leaving, and, and Peter's standing there, and he can't believe it. And about that point, Jesus turns to him, and he asks him the question that, honestly, Peter will never forget the rest of his life. Today we're continuing a series that we've been in now for the last couple of months. For those of you who are brand new, this series is called Revealed. You can see it on the walls. It's a study of the life and teaching of Jesus as seen through the eyes of some of his close, one of his closest uh, followers and friends. His, his name is John. He actually wrote a story of the life and teaching of Jesus. We call it the Gospel of John. And we come today to John chapter 6, the middle of John chapter 6. But before we jump in, you have there in your note sheet a section called Setting the Stage, a quick review. Uh, if you've been here the last few weeks, you, you kind of know the story that um, it's Passover time. And Jesus is in the north, is in Galilee. And uh, people have been uh, so taken with him. They're, they're following him from all over. Uh, they're coming to see him teach, listen to him teach. They're coming to watch him heal. On this particular day, at the end of the day, he does something he's never done before. He, he asks this one kid for his meal, and then he, he feeds the 5, 10, 15,000 people, how many ever are there. It's an amazing miracle. And the crowd is so taken with them, it reminds them of a time in their national history way back at the time of the first Passover when God sent this amazing deliverer, Moses, down. He rescued them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, Mount Sinai, and then for 40 years provided them bread in the wilderness. Miraculously, they called it manna. Remember, they called it the bread of heaven. And so when they see Jesus out in the wilderness again, multiplying the loaves and the fishes, it just triggers something in their mind. This is the guy. I mean, Moses had promised that one day God would raise up a super prophet who would uh, come and lead the nation. And so they thought, this has got to be the guy. And so they want to storm him, seize him, make him king, which would have been disastrous. And so Jesus uh, dismisses the crowd. He quick gets his disciples in the only boat that's there, shoves them off. He heads to the Golan Heights, spends the night in prayer. In the middle of the night, he walks to them on water in the midst of the storm, calms the storm, transports their boat to the far side of the sea, to the, uh, the city of Capernaum. And so now it's less than 24 hours there. He's teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. And the next day, the crowds eventually find him. They want to know, how did you get here? And uh, he kind of ignores that question. He says, look, you're seeking me, but you're looking for me for the wrong reasons. 
You're, you're not following me because you saw these miracles and you realize I'm the Messiah and you want to know me and love me and follow me and learn about God. You're really coming, you just want a free handout. You, you saw the free food and you want me to kind of do the manna trick again. You want me to get the manna started. You, you just want the free food. He says, don't work for the food which perishes. Work for the food that's going to lead to life, both in this life and the next life. And, he, and then he says, I'm the bread of heaven. It's not the manna. I'm the true bread of heaven that's come down to give my life for the world, to give you this new life. Well, as Jesus is sharing this, uh, he realizes that most of the people in the crowd are not buying in. In fact, he knows that by the end of the day, they're going to leave him. And so we're picking up in the middle of this most famous, one of his most famous sermons in the history of the world, this Bread of Life sermon. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6, and we'll pick up the story where we left off last week in verse 35. John chapter 6 and verse 35, um, Jesus says, uh, I am the bread of life. You know, it's not the manna in the wilderness, I'm the bread of life. Um, and he who comes to me will never go hungry. And so this is the claim we looked at last week. We talked about hunger. And we talked about this amazing claim that Jesus makes that he alone knows how to satisfy the deepest hunger and thirst of the human heart. And so here it is. Uh, I'm the bread of life. And he who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never go thirsty. He says, but as I told you, you have seen me. And still, you don't believe. And so they've been following him for days, weeks. They've seen the miracles. They've heard his teaching. They just saw the feeding of 5,000, and yet they're still not buying in. They're not really following him. He knows that. And yet he also knows that in the crowd that day, there are some, maybe they're a minority, but there are some who really are going to follow him. And so he says in verse 37, all that the Father gives me, they will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive out. Now this is the amazing promise of Jesus, right? That it doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter what we've done in our lives. It doesn't matter how bad we've messed up. It doesn't matter that Jesus never cares where we're coming from. He only cares where we're going, right? He cares more about our future than our past. And so this is his promise. He looks at this crowd and he realizes that most of them are not buying in. Most of them are not following. But he says, for those who are, I've got a promise for you. If you want a relationship with me, if you want the bread of heaven, if you want this new life, I promise you, if you come, I will never turn you away. The amazing promise. And now he's going to go on and explain why he can make this promise. And the reason is, this is exactly why his father has sent him to planet Earth, to rescue lost people like you and like me. And so he says next, in verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is what we've seen all through the Gospel of John. Jesus' driving passion in his life was to please his Father. In verse 39, and this is his, the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of them that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. So catch this. Jesus is not only promising that when we come to him, we want this new life, that he'll never reject us, he'll receive us. He's promising that once we've come to him, he'll hold on to us through all of time. And he promises at the end of time when he returns, he will raise us up on the last day that he'll give us a new life. So, so coming to Jesus is not just a decision for now, it's a decision that affects all the rest of eternity, right? That he'll, that we'll, he'll raise us up. 
And verse 40, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so this is what we've been studying in the Gospel of John. Over and over, Jesus has come to us. He's said it in a variety of ways. Like, I am the, the water of life. I am the bread of life. I'm the light of life. He's saying a million ways. But he says, look, I've come to give you a whole new life. I've come to change you from the inside out. And, and not only through this life and the, and the next life. And if you believe in me and you follow me and you give your life to me, I will, I will, I will change your life. And I will give you, I will give you a new life. And, and so we want to pause this week in this series, and instead of doing our normal teaching like we do, just kind of go on, and I'll come back to some of this later, but instead of doing that, we want to celebrate some new life that God's been, been doing here in the last few months. And so we have about uh, over 20 people this weekend that are going to be kind of coming today to be baptized, and uh, we're excited about that. Yeah, isn't that awesome? And... And so it's really cool because really what they're doing is they're saying, I believe Jesus is the bread of life. I, I believe he's who he's said to be. And I, I want to give him my life. And I, I want to leave my past behind. And I, I want to follow him. I want to be born again. I want to be uh, come to be one of his followers. And so, uh, of course, we're spreading those 21 people out over different services, right? They're not all here at this service. But we have many this service are going to be baptized. Um, and I wish we had time to show you all their stories because they're just great stories, but but I do want to take the time just to show you kind of one story more in depth. And so let's cut to the screen and let's uh, watch one license story. Thank you for this, uh, this celebration of new life, God, that as we step into the waters of baptism, we celebrate that you've conquered the grave, that, that once there was a time we didn't know what the future held, but, but through your son, that you've brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, as Paul said, that we now know what's coming for those who follow. And so, God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for these, these people who have been baptized. We commit them to your care in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, of course, that's not the end of the story. We're still in the middle of the sermon. He's just alienated some people. He said that uh, he's the bread of life who's come down from heaven. They can't figure that out. Like, really? Like, like you live here in Capernaum. We, we know your family. Uh, we, we know your brothers. We know your sisters. We know your, your parents. And so, so we don't really get this whole thing. So let's pick up the story at verse uh, 41. So, so at this, uh, the Jews begin to grumble about him because he said, well, I'm the bread of heaven that came down, and uh, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, wait a second. Isn't this uh, Jesus? His son of Joseph, of course, that's what they thought, whose father and mother we know. And how could he say, I came down from heaven? And so Jesus says, hey, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And so today we saw a great truth earlier that, um, that no one who comes to Jesus will ever be turned away. It's an amazing truth. Here's a second great truth is that no one can come to Jesus unless God draws him. That when a man or woman comes to Jesus, there's a supernatural experience going on. Uh, this is not to say that we don't have a part to play or a, a responsibility to respond. But Jesus is very clear that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, it's because God is drawing them. And you, you listen to stories like Serene's story that we saw in the video. You can see God drawing her through a series of events. And, and so Jesus says that's what has to happen. And so he goes on and he says... Uh, it's written, verse 45, it's written in the prophets, and he's actually quoting from Isaiah here, that they will all be taught by God. Isaiah promised that when the Messiah came, they'd all be taught by God. 
And Jesus says, everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. So how do you know if you're being taught by God? How do you know if you know God? Well, it has to do with your relationship with Jesus. You know, if, you're, if you realize who Jesus is, then you're being taught by God. That's his point. In fact, he goes on and says, no one who has seen the Father, no one uh, has seen the Father except the one who is from God, talking about himself. Only he has seen the Father. And so Jesus says, listen, that's why I've come. I've come to explain who God is. That's why, remember back in John chapter one, at the very beginning, this is how this, this gospel started, that no one has ever seen God at any time, but God who, the one and only who's at the Father's side, speaking of Jesus, has made him known. And so this is what Jesus is affirming. He's saying, listen, I've come to tell you who God is, how to have a relationship. You need to be paying attention. Verse 47, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. What I'm telling you is the truth. Your forefathers, they ate the manna in the desert, but they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Okay? Now, at this point, Jesus is about to take this whole message to a new level. He's already irritated the crowd. He's already told them, I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. And they're just like, what are you talking about? You live here in Capernaum. We know your family. Like, we don't really get what you're saying. But he's about to irritate them at a whole new level. And to understand this, you have to understand the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, there's some very strict dietary laws about what Jews could eat and could not eat. And one of the things, one of the clearest laws is that as a Jew, you could not eat or drink blood. Like you couldn't drink blood, some of the pagan nations would drink, but you couldn't drink blood. But you also couldn't eat meat that still had the blood in it. So when you butchered animals, you had to make sure to drain the blood so the, blood, the, the, the meat would, would kind of, uh, wouldn't have blood in it. And so for a Jew, like there's hardly anything that can be more offensive than like eating or drinking blood. Are you with me in this? And so Jesus is about to really irritate them at this point. He's going to go all out to offend them. He's almost like intentionally saying, listen, I know you're not believers. It's time for you to know what I know. It's time for you to realize the truth about yourself because uh, I already know. And so look what he says next. He says uh, at the end of verse 51, the, this, this bread, he's been using this picture of believing him like taking in bread. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And so he's beginning a transition now. He's, begin, he's been talking about eating the bread of life. And now he says, hey, this bread is my flesh that I will give for the life of the world. He's beginning to move into sacrificial language. The giving of my life and death, giving of my flesh like a sacrifice uh, so that you might have life. So this is really confusing to them. So then the Jews begin to argue sharply among themselves. Wait a second, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Like what's he talking about? In 53, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Now here we go. This is like how to lose friends and, lose en and make enemies. Here we go. Uh, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You can just see his disciples back there going, oh, no, he said that. I was just like, oh, don't go there. Oh, man, this is like no one's going to follow you now. This is like this is the worst. And remember, they've never heard this sermon. 
So they don't know, you know, like we're used to this kind of language if you're used to the Bible. Okay, you know, I'm kind of used to this, but I mean, like think of the very first time you're hearing this. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, it's like gross. You know, it's like, oh, just gross. And so, but he says, you don't have any life in yourself. Now, verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. He just won't let go of this. And, and I will raise him up on the last day. Hey, third time if you didn't get it. For my flesh, it's real food. My blood is real drink. They're like gagging. Ah, stop. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, fourth time he's going to say it, remains in me and I in him. We have this new relationship. And, and of course, we understand this more looking back now in time. And, and we know that a year from now, it's going to be the final Passover. Jesus is going to be sitting in his, with his men the night that he's arrested, and he's going to take that Passover meal. Remember, it's Passover time. He's going to take that Passover meal, and he's going to say, this bread uh, is my, what? My body. And he's going to take that cup, and he's going to say, this wine is my, my blood. And now we're starting to understand that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, there's a sense that when we buy into him, we follow him, it's like we're taking him into ourselves. It's like this beautiful picture of where we're consuming him, that his life becomes our life, that we're taking in the Son of God into our life. We're eating his flesh. We're, through his death, we have life. We're absorbing that. And now there's a connection. Now he's in us and we're in him, and we're united to one another. And so uh, he goes on, and he says, verse 57, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of my Father, I have this connection with my Father, I live because of him, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread who came down from heaven. Our forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. And this, he, he said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. So 24 hours earlier, they were ready to make him king. Now they're not so sure. But he's given some powerful teaching about who he is and his relationship. This amazing offer that starts at baptism. We come to baptism, we, we step over the line, we follow him. We're born again. We give our lives to Christ. And now as Christ's followers, we feed on him, don't we? That he is our life. And we celebrate that every few weeks here at Rocky Peak by having communion together. We celebrate that his life is our life. We celebrate the forgiveness of sins through the death of Jesus. We celebrate our oneness with Christ. We celebrate all those things. And today, as we work through this passage, we want to take some time just to live out that, those realities. And so the band's going to be coming now, and we're going to go into a time of communion. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you believe in him, you believe he's the living bread, you believe his flesh is true food, his blood is true drink, then this is for you. And the way we do it here at Rocky Peak is that um, we have some tables on the outside of the uh, auditorium. They have the, the bread and the juice there. And so we're going to go into a time of worship right now. We're going to stand right now. We're going to pray, and then we're just going to move the tables. And uh, if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. If you've not yet made that commitment, it'd probably be best to you to wait until you do make a decision to follow Jesus so the symbolism is, all makes sense. Let's stand together, and let me, let me pray. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing 
in our lives. And we thank you that you've come to give us life. And we celebrate that in baptism. We celebrate it today in the Lord's Supper, in the, in the Holy Eucharist, Lord, in, in communion. That your life is our life. That through your death and resurrection, by the power of your spirit, that you come to live inside of us. And we live off of you. We feed off of you. That every day we feed off of you. Every day your life is our life. God, that we, we could not know life apart from your son, Jesus. That he's come and revealed the Father. And so, Lord, we come to the table now. We thank you for your death. We thank you for your resurrection and the life we have in it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, what can we say? What can we do? After all you've done for us, but to offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. And Lord, um, today as we, we celebrate this passage, as we celebrate that the bread of life has come, um, as we eat of your flesh, we drink of your blood, symbolically, Lord, taking you into ourselves. God, we pray that you would be our life. We pray the life of your son Jesus would be our life, that we would be in him and he would be in us, so we would walk together well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, it's not the end of the story. We pick it up at verse 60. This uh, sermon didn't go real well. If there were elders, they wouldn't have been happy. Uh, registration cards would have been full that day. Complaints. I don't think that was very appropriate. Flesh and blood talk. It's really out of line. Uh, I don't know who you think you are. Uh, but man, he pushed some buttons, didn't he? And, uh, and he drew a line in the sand. Um, you see, Jesus knew something about these people. He knew that they weren't true followers. Um, they thought they were true followers, but he knew they weren't. And it was time for them to know the truth about themselves, the truth he already knew. And so he, he laid it out there in a pretty strong way. And he forced a decision. And you know, Jesus does that in our life, doesn't he? He, he knows how to force decisions. He knows how to bring us to a point and say, well, so you're with me or not? And on this particular day, he brought this whole crowd to a decision point. Today we've witnessed a decision point for many people in our church. They said, I, I want to be baptized. It's a decision point. But he brings us to other decision points in our life too. And this was a big one for them. And so in verse 60 it says, On hearing it, many of his disciples, catch that, many said, And this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And aware that his disciples were grumbling, Jesus says, Does this offend you? You know, this talk about eating my flesh and drinking your blood, and they're like, yes. And uh, he says, well, verse 62, what, what if you were to see the Son of Man, that's talking about himself, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? And, and honestly, we're not really sure exactly what he means by this. Here's what we know. We know that one year from this point in time, at the following Passover, we know that he is going to give his life for the life of the world. We know he's going to be arrested, crucified, rise again from the dead, about a month and a half after that, he's going to return to sin to heaven. That's what we know. Of course, in their mindset, messiahs don't die. Messiahs don't get crucified. This would be the great offense of the cross. It may be that what Jesus was saying is this offends you, this talk about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. You haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> like, wait till they 
I'm crucified and the Messiah gets crucified. You know, you're struggling with this. You're going to really struggle then. We're not really sure, but what he says next, he says, uh, verse 63, the Spirit gives life. And this is what he's been teaching throughout the Gospel of John is that, that no one comes to Jesus on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. The Spirit gives life. He says the flesh, kind of our natural understanding, it counts for nothing. And the words I've spoken to you today, they're, they're spirit and they're life. They have the ability to give life. And yet there are some of you here who don't believe because Jesus had known from the beginning which of them didn't believe and who would betray them. He'd known all along. That's why he gave his tough message to help them know the truth about themselves. He already knew this. He knew they weren't buying in. And so he's kind of drawing a line and helping them to know what the, or he already knew. And he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. It's a supernatural thing. And so at this point, It says, many, from his time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. This was a tipping point in the life of Jesus. 24 hours earlier, his public approval ratings were at an all-time high. They were ready to rush him and make him king. We are less than 24 hours away, and they are all leaving. This is a tipping point in the life and ministry of Jesus. Our lives have tipping points, don't they? They have points where he brings us to. It's a tipping point, either for or against. For most of the people there that day, this was a tipping point against. This is too tough. They couldn't take this teaching. And so at this point, he turns to Peter, turns to his 12 disciples. He asks them the question that we start in the, from the story we started the day with, the question that Peter will never forget the rest of his life. And here's the question. He turns to his 12 and he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? What about you? Everyone's leaving. I mean, his guys are there. They can't believe it. The day before, these people want to make him king. There's thousands of them. They're thinking like, man, game's on. The movement's happening. You know, maybe it's really going to happen. Jesus is going to take, but they're excited. Now they're 24 hours later. They're watching everyone leave. They're like, man, that was just a bad sermon. That was just like really bad. Looks like everyone's leaving. And Jesus says, well, what about you? And here's the amazing thing about these, these men, is that honestly, I don't think they had a clue what Jesus was talking about that day. They, they were back there wringing their hands when he's talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. I mean, they're not, they're, they're like, no, no, stop, you know, don't. It's like, they, they don't get it. But here's the one thing they know. They know, they've come to a place in their life where they're convinced Jesus is who he claims to be. They may not understand everything he says, they may not understand everything he does. Have you ever been there in your life? Like, like you, you, you believe in Jesus, you don't have a clue what he's doing in your life. Like, like, I don't, I don't, like, I trust you, but this is not making sense. Have you been there? And that's where they're at. And they're like, I, I, I don't think they had a clue what he was talking about, this eat the flesh, drink the blood thing, but what they knew is that he was the real deal. And that he was the one that could be trusted. And so here's what they say. Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? I mean, where would we go? If we were to leave you, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We, we trusted you. We believe and know you are the Holy One from God. You're the Messiah. And so Jesus replies and, listen, I, I've chosen you, the 12, and yet even among you, you know, most of the crowd's leaving, but even amongst the 12, it's not a clean sweep. Even amongst the 12, one of you is a devil. And he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though, though one of the twelve, the inner circle, was later to betray him. 
And so in 24 hours, we go through this radical shift of everyone wanting to follow Jesus to now everyone leaving him, almost everyone leaving him. It was a tipping point in his ministry. This was one of the last times we'll see him in Galilee in the north, for now he will begin to go south and prepare to die a year, a year from now. He will not come north again. Like this is, this is the end, this is the beginning of the end of his ministry in the north of the country. And so, so decision point. So we come to Jesus. We saw a decision point today, baptism. We come to Christ. We give us our life. We've talked about entering into relationship with him. We, we feast on him, his, his bread, his body, his, his blood, this new life, his life for our life. Well, when we become a follower of Jesus, we become a follower of his movement, don't we? That it's not, it's, becoming a Christian, a Christ follower, is not an individual decision. I mean, once we, we make it as an individual, but once we become a Christ follower, we become part of his movement that's been going on ever since he was here. And this weekend, we have 60 people here at Rocky Peak who have said, you know, not only do I want to follow Jesus, not only have I been baptized, but, but I want to be part of what God is doing at this church, unleashing the movement here. I want to be part of this movement. And so we're going to welcome some of those into partnership today. Of course, the 60 people are spread out over the three different services. But if you're here to be welcomed as a partner today, would you come forward at this time and line up here in the front? And we want to welcome you. Obviously, some have been baptized. It's a wet heads. Let me talk a little bit about this decision today and what, what they're making. You know, we have a vision here at Rocky Peak. It's there on your screen that to, uh, our vision is that we feel like God is calling us to unleash a movement of what we call passionate Christ followers. And there's kind of four marks of a passionate Christ follower. And the first one is pursuing God, that we would be a church that uh, we're pursuing God. Our number one goal in life is to know him, to love him and to please him. And that's our passion. Uh, we, we talk about, I, I call it that he's our first love. He's our deepest passion. He's our highest priority in life. And so that's the first part of being a follower. The second part is loving people. That we want to learn how to love people as Jesus loved us. He said, by this, all men will know that you're my followers if you love one another. We want to learn how to love people in the radical ways he's loved us. Inside the movement, outside doesn't matter. We're just going to be loving people. Number three, Serving sacrificially. Uh, the Bible teaches that once we become part of the movement of Jesus, that we all have unique spiritual gifts, abilities, experiences. He calls us to use our gifts to serve and, and to uh, our financial resources to fund his movement. And then number four, sharing Christ. That uh, once we become a follower of Jesus, that we're kind of one of his representatives 24-7, and wherever we go, we want to be a representative for him to help share the message of life that he's come to give us. Now, these people uh, that are here, they, they want to become part of that movement, and there's some certain specific commitments that they're making. In the past, we call these a company that committed. There were seven specific commitments. We're formatting them a little different now to kind of work with our new vision statement a little bit better. But um, let me just kind of give them it in a nutshell. Under pursuing God, 
uh, what the commitment that they're making is that they, they want to, um, that they're going to join us in the spiritual growth path is what we call it. And that's three things. That they're going to be, um, they're going to be uh, coming on our weekend services on a regular basis because it's here we encounter God together each week and grow together. Number two, they're going to be in some sort of small group experience where they can connect with other Christ followers and challenge. And number three, that they will spend personal time with God every week in that personal relationship. Then under, under loving people, the commitment is to learn how to do relationships the New Testament way, the whole new way. Under number three, serving sacrificially, a couple commitments. That they would, uh, first of all, use their spiritual gifts to serve, not only in their own personal life and community, but here at Rocky Peak, that they'd find at least one area of ministry where they can help advance the movement. And then that financially, Jesus talked about laying up our treasures in heaven, that they would use their financial resources, their offerings, their tithes, the 10% of their income to help fund the movement that God's releasing here. And then number four, sharing Christ, that they would uh, not only be a representative of Christ wherever they go, but that they would be investing in relationships with people, loving people, and as people want to know more about Christ, that they would be able to invest and then invite them to come and see and share. And so these are the specific commitments they're making. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read their names right now. As I read your name, if you just stand forward and wave or do a jig or something um, to self-identify, Daniel Bird. Mm, welcome, Daniel. <laughs> Lindsay Bruno, who just got baptized. <laughs> and her mom, Sue Bruno. Uh, Johnny Draco. And his wife, uh, Tristan Paris. Lucero Dunkerley. All right. (laughs) Terry and Cindy Fahey. (laughs) Catherine LaPook. Ken McCullough. (laughs) Roa Roscoe. Lori Peterson, another wethead. Bing Siswanto. Mike Sun. And Terry Hansen. Would you join me in prayer as we welcome these people to the movement? Father, we're just so excited about what you're doing here at Rocky Peak and the way you're unleashing your movement. And God, we want to be a part of that. One of our prayers is you bring people to join us people who are hungry to know you, people who want to know you and follow you. Maybe they know you currently, maybe they don't, but you'd bring them here and that here they would grow and here they would experience you, here they would hear your voice, here their lives would be changed from the inside out, that they would become passionate Christ followers, that we would run together, serving, sharing, pursuing, loving. And God, so we pray your Holy Spirit would be over each of these people and that in a fresh way, anoint them in a fresh way. God, use them. We pray that we would be a blessing to them. We pray that they would be a blessing to us and that all of us will be a blessing to these three valleys we serve. We pray for an anointing of your spirit on them as we together unleash the movement of passionate Christ followers. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.